Hi there, I'm Eric Wordweaver Shervin, Gothi of the Ridgar Folk here in East Texas, and I would like to welcome you to The Raven's Call. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects, just kind of whatever strikes my fancy, sets my mind on fire at the time. A uh, big UPG warning at the beginning of these episodes, like all episodes, this is just my take on heathenry. It's not reflective necessarily of greater heathenry, uh, it's not even necessarily reflective of the individual views of my different tribe members. This is just me, and how I see the world, and how I interact with it. So. A lot of what we do here is intro stuff, but a lot of it's also some deeper thought. And uh, we'll get into some of the esoteric things from time to time. We'll get into some of the more uh, religious things. I do a lot of the religious and cultural side of things because that's my forte. Uh, But we do do some of the uh, esoteric side of things from time to time. So, uh, housekeeping stuff before we get started. Please like the videos. Subscribe if you haven't. The subscriber numbers subscriber numbers actually help out um, in getting the videos out there for other people to see so if you enjoy what you see please hit like down below uh, comment I try to go through and at least heart everybody's comments when I see them to let you guys guys know that I saw it and then I'll reply where I can I do get show ideas from those comments so like if you have questions I may try to answer something real quick but I may also throw that into my list frogs are singing in the background. I may throw that into my list for later episodes. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to throw stuff out there. I love doing those things and they give me great show ideas. Um, Plus the different conversations that I have with my people and folks that I interact with uh, give me some really cool, really cool ideas on, uh, on some videos that we can cover different topics that maybe I have just overlooked or need to come back to all sorts of things. So comment, all that. My contact information is down below if you want to email in, uh, if you want to mail in anything for the P.O. Box down there for the whole you know, show it on the channel thing. Um, <clears throat> haven't gotten anything in a while, so I don't really have anything to show at the moment, but if you do, it's there. You know how to get to it. So, Alright, onwards and upwards. Let's go ahead and hit today's subject. Now, today's subject is one that was spawned from a conversation that I had with a friend of mine. Uh, a little while ago, Miss Amelia, and uh, this is a topic that I've talked about a lot in my interpersonal relations and, and dealing with different people, uh, because they're observations that I've made throughout the years, and then have later found out that they're backed up by um, some research and some observations by professionals. And this particular one is on the the generational nature of um, cultural adoption. And so what this basically means is there's, ba- there's essentially what is a three-generational rule when it comes to any kind of change or adaptation to a culture or the establishment of a culture. And a lot of, time, a lot of tribes and a lot of, uh, a lot of what we're doing today uh, with the different tribes, kindreds and whatnot is we're trying to establish our culture in today's society. So a lot of people out there that are watching this channel are dealing with the first generational step. And we'll come back to what that means here in just a little bit. But as we go through and we develop our tribes and we develop uh, our cultures in today's society, I like to really push that because I want people not just to establish groups, not just to establish you know, their, their kindreds and their tribes, but to recognize that they are establishing their own culture. Um, It's not some greater heathen culture. It's not um, some mass organized religion. Uh, These are individual cultures. The culture of my tribe is different from the culture of a tribe not too far from us and significantly different than some of the tribes I know down in South Texas. And that's just simply because of the different people that are in it. 
the, the different things that we bring to the table, plus some regional differences based on where we are. What we do here in Texas is going to be significantly different in a lot of ways than what they do up in Minnesota or California, Maine, New York, stuff like that. So keep that in mind as we go through. We are building and establishing our cultures. And that's one of those things that it's hard to really explain in words until you actually get in there and start to do it. And you realize, you know, it's not just, it's not just getting together and doing bloat. It's not just getting together and doing sumble. It's the different ways you go about things. It's the, you know, like Texas is real heavy in how we do our heathenry because that's where we are. That is our world. And so we do things the way Texans do things, you know. Um, our, our gatherings are going to have some Viking-style games and activities, but it's also going to have just some straight-up Texas cookout-type stuff that we like to do. And that's going to vary from region to region, and there's going to be some overarching similarities, but there's going to be some variances, too, from region, and that's okay. It's supposed to be that way. Uh, and that's, that's the way it was, that's the way it is, and that's the way it will be. Um, this is... That, that's heathenry. That, that's the gist of things. It's, it's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and I love to see these cultures build up and develop over time. Okay, So, in essence of that, let's talk about how culture develops from a generational standpoint. Essentially, it takes three generations to effect any kind of change, to add anything to a culture, to make anything disappear from a culture. And the reasoning for that is because the first generation is that initial generation of <coughs> creation. You know, it's the, that, that, it's almost hard to explain in a specific term because I don't go by anybody else's list. This is my observation. But uh, that first generation, the, the generation of adoption, okay? Let's say, for instance, you want to change, you want to add a ritual to your tribe, okay? The first generation is the generation of adoption. That's where you bring in that new ritual and you start to develop it. In this generation, everything is new and you are adding something new to the culture. It has not been done before, so it's new to everybody that's involved. And you are developing it. It's a time where this particular ritual or foo or whatever you're establishing uh, may undergo some changes. It may it'd be a work in progress kind of thing. It also may just not fly. It may be something that you try on and that you try to establish in the culture, but it doesn't make it through that first generation of adoption. Uh, for something to become ingrained in a culture, it has to make it through all three steps. Then it becomes ingrained and becomes part of the culture. So we start with, say, we're going to do this particular ritual, okay? Ritual A. And we introduce ritual A, and then we spend time developing it and investing in it and getting to build a connection with this particular ritual. We really work at honing this ritual in and making it do what we want it to do. It's still the first generation of this. So everybody that's there, this is something that is new, so it requires thought, it requires active um, focus and consciousness, a mindfulness of it, in order to make sure that it gets done and that it gets done properly. Now. You move on from that first generation into the second generation, and that's that second generation wherein they are inheriting this. Now, that generation can exist concurrently with the first generation of adoption, but that generation is typically younger, obviously, 
Um, so they're not necessarily paying attention to the establishment of this particular ritual. They're not necessarily paying attention to all of the details. So it's, they're in that in-between phase. That is an inheritance level where they're inheriting this and that's really a make it or break it generation. You know, the first generation, you can see it through. You can establish a thing and you can agree that you're gonna do it and stick through with it. But if this second generation doesn't accept that inheritance, if they don't pick that up and run with it, then they're not really going, it's not gonna make it past that generation. It's gonna die on the vine with the first generation. So it has to be passed down through that second generation. Now the second generation has been there for the adoption of it. They, they can understand the why of it, but it's still being ingrained as far as the mechanics and the why. After that second generation, that in-between phase, uh, you get into the third generation. That is the generation of, of true synthesis. That is the generation where this cultural norm has been established because this second generation knew a time before it, before this added element, and a time after, most likely, um, depending on when they were born within that relation. Um, but they know, they know the tradition as it was passed down from the first generation, so they still understand it to be an added thing. The third generation is inheriting this tradition after it has been built, it has been accepted, and now it's just a thing. If it makes it into that third generation and survives that third generation, because the second generation is the one that is most likely to drop any new additions, because the first generation is cool, this is awesome, this is, this is it, you know, this is the thing, and we're going to work on it, we're going to develop it, and it's going to be awesome. The second generation is the proving ground. This is where you see whether or not that there's sticking power to it, whether or not there's meat to this thing. If they accept it and they adopt it and it makes it through that crucible of the second generation, the, that this is a very important generation, and it gets into the third generation where it's just tradition. This has now been established through two generations. It's tradition. This is how the tribe does things. If that third generation picks it up and adopts it from the second generation, you're pretty much good and it's gonna run. We play a long game with culture and tradition. This is not something that is a one generational thing. If you're truly trying to establish a culture, if you're truly trying to establish tribe. Now, there's a number of groups that are more on the kindred side of things that may not necessarily think about multi-generational elements. Um, they may they may be thinking about you know how do I get my kids into heathenry and how do I establish that, but they they're not necessarily thinking long term about establishing traditions that are going to be lasting through time. For those of you that are looking at trying to develop something that's going to last beyond your generation, you've got to think about things in terms of this three generational rule. The reason for that is because it takes time. <laughs> To establish something to a point that it's going to stick, that it's going to stay, that it's going to be a thing. You need to spend that first generation really honing things in. That is the responsibility of the first generation. If you're going to add something to the tribe, add something to the tradition, you need to develop it in such a way that it's going to be just about as good as it's going to be. Um, because later generations may adjust, may twist, may develop. Uh, this a little bit further and take it in further into the culture of the tribe and make it their own Each generation is going to do that with the traditions of the previous um, 
if they understand the nature of tradition and why it is what it is and the importance of it, then they will see this through and they will they'll, they'll continue the tradition in the way that it's been done with a few minor additives for their own personal flair. But you have to ingrain that need for tradition, that need for uh, something to be done this way. And there has to be a good why to it. You know, I come back on the channel all the time. The whys are important. The whys for traditions are extremely important. You can think about a number of things that we may do today uh, that are traditions from generations back, but we don't necessarily know what it is, why it is, why this is a tradition, why do we even do this? And then all of a sudden, poof, it can be gone. When you ingrain a tradition, you don't just ingrain the tradition itself, you ingrain the story of the tradition. You ingrain the reasoning for it, its impetus, its birth, the why of the tradition. That's just as important as the tradition itself as far as the tradition's longevity. It has to have a weight and substance to the tribe. There has to be a reason for it. This being said, that is why it's probably not a good idea as you're establishing tribes and establishing kindreds and cultures to try and overburden a culture early on with excessive traditions. It's okay if you're just forming your tribe and getting a feel for things. If you add things, let things slip, you're going to be experimenting with a ton of things. And things are going to stick, things are not going to stick. Things are going to fall away. That's okay. You're in that experimentive phase. That's that's cool. That's the way it's supposed to be. You are the scientists, you are experimenting, you are innovating, and you are creating. And that is a good, good, good thing. Future generations will continue to create, but you're doing the fundamental work here and now. So you need to focus on things like tribal structure, on uh, the holiday schedule, and what rituals you do, how you do ritual, what the rituals mean to you, why do you do all these things, and then record those, pass those on. You know, we have the benefit in, in today's society of being able to record things very easily, whether it be through the written word, through videos, through whatever means that you take on to pass down these traditions. We can do that today in ways that our ancestors could not, in a very oral tradition as it was back in the day, what didn't get put into story didn't get passed down, at least the details of it, the reasonings behind it, the whys. And here we are thousands of years on, and we're looking at traditions from our ancestors that we may not fully understand because we don't have the context for it. Nothing was written down, and the oral tradition was broken, uh, largely by the Christianization of Northern Europe. So we are trying to reestablish something in the here and now that is either, if you're a recon, if you're a reconstructionist, you're trying to reconstruct things from back then. If you are a, more of a modernist bent, then you are trying to create things as influenced and informed by uh, history and tradition. At least I hope that's the approach that you're taking. And so, if you overburden your tribe with hard-set traditions because you're trying to paint a picture of a completely well-rounded, well-developed culture, in the first generation, it, it's not going to work out for you. It's not going not to hold. You're going to lose a lot of things in the transition. And it's okay. You're supposed to lose some things between transitions. It, it just kind of happens. The important things need to stay. And that's why in the early traditions, the early generations, establishing traditions needs to focus on the most important things. When you're trying to pass things down, yeah, there's a way that your group may like to do things now, 
Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be ingrained in tradition. Um, personal preferences are not tradition. Just because you like to serve a meal this way, you like to have this specific food at a particular festival, doesn't mean that needs to be ingrained in tradition. And then every generation from here on knows that at midsummer you serve this, and at Yule you serve this. There can be cool things that are established through culture and familial tradition that do make those generational jumps, like you know, uh, my le making lefsa around Yuletide. That's a thing that I do. And so that became a tradition for me. So much so that when I don't do it around Yule because things are just crazy and I haven't had a chance, uh, it's noticed and it's missed. You know, people ask me about it. Hey, when are you making lefsa? Because I know this is the time of year that you make lefsa. That's when you know something's ingrained as a tradition. Now, you can ingrain traditions within one generation as far as making a tradition, but we're not talking about just establishing a one-time tradition, okay? We're talking about establishing a cultural norm. So take the lefsa thing, for example. If I do lefsa every generation, every Yuletide, uh, that's my tradition. That's something that I do. But it's not necessarily something that I'm trying to ingrain in future generations because that's just a personal preference fun thing that I do. If I was going to try and make this a generational thing, it becomes my job then to pass it on to a specific person to inherit it for the following generation. There needs to be somebody uh, in the next generation who's interested in it and who's invested in it because there has to be in it that feeling of investment, there has to be that feeling of belonging, that attachment um, in order for that to be something that they stick with. If they're only tangentially interested in it, it's not going to stick. They're going to let it go over time. So let's say I had somebody in the next generation that was interested in lefsa too. So they come up and they learn from me how to make the lefsa, how I make my lefsa. They may make theirs a little bit differently, but in general, follow my tradition, my timing kind of stuff. And every Yuletide, they join me in making the lefsa until finally I pass it off to them. And then it's their job every Yuletide to make lefsa. That's where the crux of it is. Whether or not it becomes a cultural norm depends entirely upon that second generation. I can have my personal tradition, but if it becomes a cultural norm, that's up to the second gen. Because the second gen will look at it and be like, okay, well, this is cool, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna do it for a while. But then it doesn't feel that important. It's not necessary for the whole festival aspect. Um, so I'll do it every once in a while. And then I'll do it every now and again, and then it kind of fades off into nothingness because they've lost interest. They've lost the impetus of it. And that's fine if they do that. That's not that big a thing because that's not one of the important things. That's not like how we do bloat. That's not how we do sumble. That's, I make lefts at Yuletide, you know? <clears throat> but it makes a good example. So if they continue on with that tradition through their generation, and they pass it to the third generation with the context. It's a big thing. Context is a big thing. If they pass it on with the context of, you know, our first Godi did this, and then I took it over, and now I'm passing it on to you, suddenly there's the weight of Orlog behind this. Suddenly there is the weight of multi-generational tradition. At that point, it becomes established and ingrained because the, the younger generation, the third generation, will only have known a world where Ridgar makes Lefsa every year at Yuletide. They know that this is something that's done with the tribe and that it's somebody's specific job to do it. And then 
someone from that generation needs to step up and take it on. Now, that being said, every generation after that is also responsible for keeping up these cultural norms. It's not something that it's like three generations, it's established and you're done. It, it doesn't work that way. Three generations establishes it as a cultural norm. It builds the momentum necessary for it to continue on as a cultural norm and be a thing that will continue into future generations, okay? One generation is not enough. One generation and they'll probably die on the vine. Two generations, dodgy territory. It all depends on whether or not that second generation passes it on to the third. And all of this happens fairly quickly. At least the first to second generation happens fairly quickly. The passing on to the third generation is more of a long, long game thing because the second generation has to mature and maintain that tradition and then pass it on to the third generation and the third generation has to adopt it. Now, uh, extinguishing is similar. You know, you've got the additive nature of adding a new, uh, new tradition, new cultural norm. Extinguishing a cultural norm, removing something from the cultural equation, also takes a generation of a three generation thing in order to wipe it from the cultural norm. Now, most of the time, we're not worried about that. That's not what we're trying to do, you know. Um, but you need to be aware of it because that is the entropic nature of how traditions get lost, okay? You can miss something for one generation. You can lose a tradition for one generation, but it's still close enough that just because mom and dad didn't do it doesn't mean you can't go back to granny and granddaddy and learn how they did it. And then in that way, traditions can sometimes skip a generation. That's okay. That's okay. Um, that, that happens. But especially if there's the weight of cultural uh, momentum behind a tradition, uh, it, it carries that, that weight, that momentum forward. And so that skipping a generation, it still has enough to kind of jump over that because that just means there wasn't anybody in that generation that was inclined to this particular duty, this particular tradition. And so you jump forward and that, that next generation over has someone who is invested in it, who does find it interesting. So like, if, complete hypothetical, if I were to have kids and I were to pass it on to one of mine, um, and then they pass it on to theirs, and then all of a sudden there's great grandkids, and uh, the great grandkids, like the mom and dad did it, like I did it, kids did it, but that third generation didn't do it. Mm, we don't really have the cultural momentum yet, but it's still possible. It's still possible to skip that third generation and have the fourth generation serve the purpose of the third generation if that fourth generation comes along while there is still representation from the previous generations that did do this. The continuity is heavily based on contact with individuals that are invested in the tradition, okay? Skipping one generation, not that big a thing because there's probably still someone from a previous generation around who did uphold that, who does understand it, or at least was there enough to witness it and can pass the importance of that on to a future generation. Two generations, two generations you're becoming removed from the tradition. You're beginning to lose those individuals who have the capacity to teach it. You're beginning to lose the momentum for the tradition. You've got two generations now seeing that it wasn't necessary in the first place, or at least not recognizing why it was necessary, because they now exist in a world that didn't have it. You know, you had that first generation 
of the first generation of extinguishment. Um, you had that generation where they knew the tradition, but they don't necessarily feel like it was that important. They understand that the previous generations felt it was important, but they don't necessarily feel like it's important, and so they let it slide. And you've got that, that next generation, that second generation of extinguishing, where <clears throat> they are tangentially aware of it due to the grandparent generation even though the parent generation didn't pass it on, they're still aware of the grandparent generation and the fact that this is a tradition. There's still a link there where it can be passed on. If they don't adopt it, and you go into the third generation of extinguishing, it, it hinges entirely upon whether or not that great-grandparent generation is still around enough to be able to pass it on, and whether or not they have a connection with that great-grandchild generation to be able to do that, to be able to pass that on. And if they don't, if it gets past that third generation, the likelihood of that tradition existing beyond that point is very, very slim. Very, very, very slim. There's, there's like a 2% chance that it'll come back. Now, it's always possible generations on down the line, someone can come back, research it, and discover that this was a thing if you keep records of it and why it was there, and then they may readopt it later on but that starts the cycle over. That is now the first generation of adoption. Just like we are doing with heathenry today, uh, these were well-kept traditions back in the day. They were multi-generational traditions, but we're having to start over because there was a break in the tradition. And if there's a break of more than three generations in a tradition, you're pretty much starting over at that point. You know, If you've progressed beyond the point where you have access to individuals that actively practiced the cultural norm you're starting over on the whole process so you go back into the discovery and additive phases the adoption crucible and then the synthesis into actual <coughs> cultural norm at that point so what does this mean to us as heathens though to we recognize that this this rule exists what does this mean to us well as we decide what traditions and thews are important to us we understand the need for passing it on to generations it takes active thought it takes active teaching to pass these things on some things the youngins will pick up just from being around the adults and they'll continue it on but without context without emotional connection to a tradition they're not likely to give it the focus themselves necessary to pass it on to a third generation if um, if you have a particular like tribal decoration that your priest class your Godi, Githia, whatever wears for a ritual and you know the first generation understands why this is a thing and it's very important symbolically for them in ritual the second generation sees it but hasn't had it explained to them hasn't had it actively taught to them they do not ingrain that as an important thing they see it just as a thing, but they don't get it as an important thing. They just know that's the thing they go they used to wear. Now, they may still adopt it for nostalgic purposes because they have the emotional tie of that's what they wore. But if they don't have the why for the ritual side of things, then the ritual begins to lose its context and begins to lose its efficacy as a ritual piece. And if it's not important to that second generation, enough to establish that tie, <coughs> enough to really you know, focus on it and say, okay, that's important and that needs to be preserved, 
they're not going to. They will see it, they will accept it as a social norm, but they're not going to put the conscious, mindful effort that is necessary into preserving it into the next generation. It's something that they will continue to do most likely through their generation, but they won't think to teach it to the next generation. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll just assume that the next generation understands that it's important and will pick it up. That is uh, kind of laziness in the general uh, generational progression. Progression of tradition from generation to generation is a very mindful thing. A lot of people have had family members, those, those that have established family that goes back multiple generations. I mean, this is going to be different for people that have disjointed or broken families or who are adopted or things like that. You may not have established family traditions. Um, but those that do have established family traditions, and there's a reason for those traditions, um, will know that, you know, like great-grandmother may have really pushed really really pushed this particular tradition within the family and then the next generation will you know pick it up and run with it because it, it was it was taught to them it was actively taught to them um for instance like within my family we used to do a big family get together every year uh, on my Shervin side and we do it every year in the springtime we'd have this big family gathering and so <clears throat> when my, my grandfather was the responsible party for that one and he would ensure every year that the family got together. The reason for it being was so that he could see all the grandkids and the great-grandkids, but also so that the family got together and the family stayed connected. Well, when he passed, that responsibility wasn't passed on. The context for it wasn't necessarily passed on. And so nobody stepped up to take that role over and a couple of people held little things here and there because we're like, yeah, this is, this is an important thing. We need to do it, but it's not something that we were ingrained in, you know. I mean, we, we lived it. We, we experienced it, but it wasn't established in that second generation. And so it has kind of petered off. And now there's a third generation coming into adulthood who may have been babies when those gatherings were done, but they, they don't have the context for those gatherings the way that we knew them and the way that we experienced them and because they weren't taught and passed on there's no there's no drive to it so it fades off and we don't do them anymore and that's a thing that you know in order to turn that around I would have to take it on probably myself or team up with one of my cousins and try to see this through and make it happen so it's a thing so that's just one example of kind of the extinguishment of a tradition. You know, a failure, it wasn't even necessarily an extinguishment of a tradition, it was a failure for a tradition to transition into a cultural norm. Because it, that, that's a thing, you can have an individual tradition, a generation tradition, that doesn't become a cultural norm. A lot of the things that we know as family traditions, it's more than just a tradition. It's what we in, in Hidri would call a thu, uh, just an understood way we do things. It is a cultural, multi-generational norm. And it is something that is tied specifically to that culture. And so, this was a failure for a single-generation tradition to transition to a multi-generational cultural norm. So, as we go through and we develop tribes and we think about these things, we have to think in multi-generation if we want to establish something that's long-term. Now, most of you are still in the phases where you're trying to establish tribes, you're trying to set up, 
kindreds and things like this. And this is well beyond the scope of what you're trying to do because you're still in that, that initial discovery phase. You're still in that phase where you're just establishing a culture, let alone trying to pass it on. But a number of those individuals who are establishing these tribes do have kids or they do have uh, tribe members with kids. And so it behooves you to think about the multi-generational aspect of things and the passing of things on. We have to think about things like uh, browbeating a generation into accepting a tradition without the context of it is not effective. It does not transition that norm into the next generation. It builds resentment to that cultural norm uh, because it's something they were forced to do. And so, yeah, I mean, you need to push kids to participate, to be around it, to experience it, whether or not they're active participants in the tradition, or if they just witness the tradition enough to know that this is something that is done. And then as they get older, you slowly start to incorporate them into it. They need to have a feeling of ownership in the tradition. They need to have a feeling of belonging in the tradition. Not just, this is something you have to do because you're part of this tribe. Um, it needs to be explained to them why it's important. And then they need to be taught to think about it in their own terms and to find their own meaning and their own uh, connection to it so that it has that emotional tie. They need to connect their weird to it in a way that it is anchoring and that it is therefore important to them. You can't force a generation to find something important, but you can do everything within your power to let them know why it's important to you. And if it's adequately expressed and the why is good and true, then most likely the future generations will continue it on. Now, if it's just logical and it makes sense and this is just the proper way to do it, they're more likely to pick it up and go with it. Or if they know that this was really important to the first generation and that continuing it on is a tie back to that first generation. It's a tie back to the foundation of the tribe, the origin of the tribe. Like we do bloat because it mimics that prima sacrifice where Holden Villian Vey Sluimir. And so by doing bloat the way we do it, it is an homage to that prima sacrifice, that moment of creation. And so we try to establish those ties in future generations with established cultural norms so that they carry that weight and they carry that importance forward and it's meaningful to them. That's all you can do is try to establish for them why it's meaningful to you and hope that they can find their own meaning to it. And if you, do a, if you do a good enough job on it and make it inviting but not forceful, then most likely it's going to pass on. Now that's something we can come back to in, in, in future videos on the, you know, how you go about passing these traditions on specifically and some, some tips and tricks on that if it's something that interests you. If it's not, then don't worry about it. Um, but let's do talk about one thing here. Passing on traditional cultural norms is not specifically passing something on to your kids, okay? Um, the reason that I specify this is because there will be, within a tribe, there may be individuals who don't have kids, who aren't going to have kids, who cannot have kids, and there may be folks that have a ton of kids. There may be new blood that's added on. New blood is not part of that first generation of the tribe. Now, within the first so many years of the foundation of the tribe, yeah, it, it's, it's still part of that first generation. Um, and then you progress into kind of an in-between generation. And then there's very clearly, um, the tribe has been established and then these are new people coming in. You know, like uh, where we are within my tribe, where we're to the point 
because we've when we formed it it's it's been long enough now that the tribe has been established that the people coming in now to my tribe are of a different generation than when I started the tribe so that's we're into that second generation of uh, of tribe members and it's important that they pick these things up and pass it along <clears throat> not just kids new blood but it's also important to understand that as you pass these traditions on you know you're passing them on to your kids you're passing them on to the new blood members that come into the tribe you can also pass these on to kids of other members of the tribe with communication with their parents and making sure they're cool with it and that everything is respectful and all that stuff um, but for a tradition to continue, there needs to be individuals within it that, that are picking it up that really want it and really invested in it. Um, the bigger the investment, the more likely they are to pass along. So you end up taking apprenticeships from different members within the tribe. You can foster somebody's kid, quote-unquote foster, uh, more in the classical sense of fostering, um, not the modern uh, social services fostering, but in the more classical uh, here. Go learn from that guy for a while, um, which is a really good thing to do within tribes, to pass on knowledge and to spread the wealth of information and, and, and experience amongst your folk. Uh, the more you can do that with your kids, the better rounded your kids are going to be. Uh, and hopefully you've established a tribe where you trust people enough to do that. Like here, go spend a summer with Uncle Eric and let him teach you what he knows about Gothi craft uh, because I'm teaching you what I know about blacksmithing. And then go do the Gothi craft for a while, come back. See how you can work that into your blacksmithing. If you want to keep doing that, who knows, you may want to be a Gothi at some point, but at the least you'll understand why he does the things he does and how he does and how he goes about things. So that's, that's a really cool thing that you can do. It's one way to do it anyway. So you don't just have to teach your kids. You know, if you are a solitary practitioner, it's different because you know, then you are just looking at your own hearth and passing things on within a generational gap within your hearth. But you can see now kind of why tribe becomes important with that if you're trying to establish culture because <clears throat> you have a broader base to tie established traditions to. You know, uh, just because you know, if you're a blacksmith and you're smithy within the tribe but your kids are not interested in it and so there's specific like ritual elements of blacksmithing that you do for like ritual items and things like that that's not going to get passed on to your kids because they're not interested in blacksmithing. I mean, you can teach them, but if they're not driven to that, if it's not something they're passionate about, they're less likely to continue those traditions on, uh, less likely to integrate those things. You can, however, teach another tribe member's kid who is interested in it, who does find it fascinating, and who is going to give it the attention that it's due. And so then the tradition gets passed on to the next generation. It doesn't just have to be a single family line kind of thing because you're now talking about tribe. The whole tribe, you know, when it takes a village to raise a kid, that's kind of what you're talking about in this situation. And so you can pay attention amongst a tribal level of where the interests in the future generation are and then foster those interests and see where you can pass those traditions on to those individuals who are most likely to pass it on themselves. That's the thing. You don't just want to pass a tradition on to somebody who's going to just do the tradition and go through the motions. You want to pass that tradition on to somebody who's invested enough to pass it on again. That's, that's a thing. That, that's, that's the key thing. You've got to be forward-thinking enough to not just tie to that next generation, but hopefully plant a seed so that it will grow into that third generation and then become established if it's important enough that it needs to be that thing. Um, most traditions, this is just going to happen organically. And so 
you know, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a thing, you know. That's how you can really tell where you're hitting and missing on some stuff as you try to pass on your traditions to the second generation, that crucible generation, because they're either going to adopt it or they're not. <laughs> and if they don't adopt it, it's not going to go on. If they don't adopt it, there may be a reason for that that is, you know, this may be super important to you, but then you may realize, looking through that, that it's important to you for a personal reason and not necessarily important on a tribal level. And therefore, it doesn't make that jump to multi-generational cultural norm. So, anyway. So this is kind of how the three-generational rule plays into heathenry. I can go on and on and on about it because passing of traditions on is an extremely important thing. And so we will revisit this in the future uh, just from a specific of passing these traditions on. But this lays kind of the groundwork for uh, the patterns that you will recognize within passing traditions on and maybe thinking about this as you go forth and build your cultures and establish your traditions and thews uh, as far as how you can preserve those things into future generations. It's not a passive thing. Uh, you don't just do the work in the first generation then and expect the next generations to just pick it up and run with it. Uh, it is an active force of build it and pass it on. Um, something that I think is lost heavily in the modern society simply because the dissolution of the nuclear family for the most part, um, regardless of what your nuclear family looks like, I mean a tightly connected multi-generational tie of family and there's a lot of disconnect on that. Uh, technology has a lot to do with that, at least within Western society. Uh, technology has a lot to do with it. Um, the demands of modern society, like here in, in the U.S., um, the generalized metaculture, I hate the term metaculture, but anyway, uh, the generalized metaculture of the United States, um, the melting pot mentality actually runs counter to culture. Uh, it, it dissolves cultural ties on a level that is just mind-boggling. It's fascinating to watch these generational traditions and norms that have been around for hundreds of years just completely disappear within a couple of generations within America because the viewpoints in modern society don't support uh, the continuation of those traditions. The importance of them is lost in the context of the modern story. And so we have to try and bring that context forward and back because a lot of it got passive and then the focus was elsewhere. Uh, it's been on career, it's been on political stuff. It hasn't been on family and the passing on of tradition. Um, plus, we're not existing in a tribal setting anymore. Um, it's a lot of individual households that are disconnected and existing in their own little bubbles within a sea of bubbles. And, you know, tribe is a chance to break that cycle and to start reestablishing culture and cultural norms. So anyway, like I said, I can go on forever on that. So we'll come back to it. Hopefully you guys found this interesting. Uh, let me know. And uh, I will continue on it if it's something that does strike your fancy and is something that you want to hear more about as far as the traditional elements of things. And I think with at least some of you it will. So I want to thank you all for watching. This is a, we're at like 1.8 something thousand subscribers, which is just really cool. I never thought when I started this silly little side project that it would take off like this. My storytelling one was the one that I expected to be the main one. And now my storytelling one I'm, I'm hardly ever doing anymore simply because I just don't have the time for it. And this is the one that seems to get all the views. Um, this is the one you guys seem to be most interested in. So I keep doing it. So anyway, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for supporting the channel. I really appreciate it. 
keep the comments coming, keep the recommendations, keep the questions coming because I will jump into these things and explore them in some introductory terms and then some more detail later on. Um, it, it starts great conversations. I just love it. I love seeing all this. I love doing these things. It's fantastic. So hail to you all. Thank you. May your hearth fires burn bright.